The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Yesterday, we began looking at the resurrection as set forth by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We were looking at the fact that the resurrection is essential to our theology. The resurrection of Christ is the central point of all of history. And the next great event in history is the resurrection of our bodies. One day he's coming back and he will bring those spirits with him that have already died and they'll be reunited with resurrected bodies and we who remain will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Join us today as we conclude this sermon on the resurrection. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
And notice, it's even worse than that. It's even worse than that. Verse 16 says, For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. See, it's worse than just we're being accused of lying or we're looking foolish out there. It's so bad. If Christ be not raised, then we are still in our sins if there is no resurrection. We're still in our sins. See, that's, that's the cost of there not being a resurrection. If Jesus was just a prophet who just lived a pretty good life and said some pretty good things, but then he was crucified and they got rid of him that way, then, then we're just still in our sins. We have no hope, you see. And, and notice this, verse 18, we have no hope for our dead loved ones if there's no resurrection. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. That Greek word for perished means complete destruction, utter destruction. And that means that they are completely lost. You know, that's a sad place to be. I've heard Brother Tim talk about our great-grandmother when she died and was uh, at the visitation there when he was a young fella. First time that he said he ever really heard the gospel and it meant something to him. My grandmother looked at him and said, we will see her again. And that just triggered something, a little hope in his breast that, that he didn't have before. It was just something he'd never heard. And, you know, that's the most simple iteration of the gospel. That's the simplest way to put it is we will see them again. There's a lot more to it than that. <laughs> Praise God. It's not just them we'll see again. We'll see the Lord Jesus Christ when we get to heaven. That's why heaven will be heaven, not because grandmother's there, but because Jesus is there, you see. But notice what he says here. He says, they which have fallen asleep are perished if Christ be not raised. In verse 19, probably the greatest statement of all about what happens if Christ was not res resurrected. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. We are just pitiable wretches who are out there with no hope. You see, we have no hope without the resurrection. And then he goes on to tell us that we have hope only through the resurrection. That's really our only hope. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Christ is now risen. And he is not just risen for himself, he's risen as the first fruits. What did the first fruits do? The first fruits secures the rest of the harvest. That was what the first the, the sacrifice of the first fruits, that when they made that offering of the first fruits in the Old Testament, when the first fruits of the of the harvest came in, they made that offering to secure the rest of the of the harvest. And that's what he's saying here. He's the first fruits. Well, you say, well, wait a minute now, wasn't there some in the Old Testament that, that rose from the dead? I think Elijah, was it, that, that, uh, that touched somebody or somebody touched his bones and, was, and, and came back to life. What about Lazarus? Lazarus, he rose from the dead, right? The problem with those is this, is that those men who rose from the dead would have to die again. Jesus Christ is the first one to rise from the dead, never to die again. He's the first fruits, you see. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. You know, there were some issues, there were some issues there in their day of questions, and we still have those questions today. Over in the book of Hebrews, I believe it was, it said, uh, 
uh, it says why, right now we don't see death put down. We don't see the, uh, uh, the destruction of death. But you know what it says? But we see Jesus. <laughs> but we see Jesus. And that's what he's saying here. He's beginning to talk to them about the fact that death is not out of business today from the standpoint of people still die. But ultimately death has been put out of business and will one day die. Verse 24, then cometh the end. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. You know, I always think about this when Lazarus, when Jesus stood before the tomb of Lazarus. And as he was there, it, we're told he groaned in his spirit. That word groan literally means to snort in anger. He was angry standing there. You know, why would he be angry? Well, I think it's probably the same reason that I've, I've felt anger rise up in my breast before when I hear of a tragedy that happens. Some young person that's killed. And, you know, the, I feel sorrow. I feel sympathy. But sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes it's just an anger that rises up. And here we go again. I mean, I can remember when I can remember when Sherry's grandmother was at the point of death and we realized that 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 time was coming, that she was on her last breaths, and we knew it might be a day, might be two or three days, but we knew, we knew what was happening. And I can remember standing outside that hospital room and just gritting my teeth and saying, here we go again. You know, you know I, I don't think that's sinful because I believe Jesus had the same approach to death. You know why? Because death was his enemy. Death was his enemy. He was standing there as a general on the battlefield, looking across that battlefield at his great enemy that was out to destroy everything that he cared about, everything that he loved. And in fact, it was that great enemy that he went to the cross to destroy. It's okay to hate death because Christ hated it so much that he put it to death. <laughs> he destroyed it. And see, that enemy that he's destroying is death. That's his enemy. For he hath put all things under his feet. And he goes on to talk about the things that he's going to subdue and, and, and he's, he goes on down in verse 29 and, and 30 and he asks some rhetorical questions there. But beginning in verse 30 there, notice what he says. Why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I think that was a personal question for Paul. You go over to the 11th chapter of 2 Corinthians sometime, you're going to read about all the jeopardy Paul was put in. Two or three times he was shipwrecked. Three times, I believe it was, he was beaten with 39 stripes. He was uh, stoned. He, was, he, was, he was spent a day and a night. In the day. All these things that he was, his life was put in jeopardy for, all these problems in his life. He said, why do we do that? Why do we keep going, child of God? I know sometimes I understand these folks that, People that get to the point of taking their own lives, they've lost all hope. But that's not the place we should be as children of God. That's not the place we should be as Christians. We should never get to that point. But why should we never get to that point? Because he says, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantageth it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And here's what he's saying is, the only reason I can keep going is because I believe in the resurrection. I believe that not only was Christ resurrected, but that one day I will be resurrected. One day he's coming back and... Things will not keep going like they are. 
Things in my life are not going well. I know you and I could both agree with that. We could, we could identify with Paul. Maybe we're not fighting with beasts in Ephesus, but I feel like I'm fighting with beasts out there in the world. Brother James asked for prayer for our nation, the direction we're going. The beasts of this world are trying to take over our children. They're trying to take over our university. They've already taken over our universities. And they're trying to take over our young folks in this next generation. I get tired of fighting them. But the way, reason I can go on is the same reason Paul went on. Because he says, even though I die daily, I'm doing it because the dead rise. He said, if they rise not, why would I be doing it? But I know that they will rise. The resurrection is a fact. And that's the only hope that I have. And by the way, notice verses 33 and 34. We use this sometimes in the context of immorality and living right and doing right and not living wickedly. Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners, awake to righteousness and sin not. For some, not, some have not the knowledge of God, I speak this to your shame. And that can be used in that context, certainly it can. But notice that the context it's actually used in is in the context of heresy, in the context of someone who is not living, they're not living wickedly, they're just saying, you know, we don't believe in the resurrection. We don't believe that the Bible, you know, that what Paul's been teaching us is true. People today say, I just think it's a bunch of old wives tale. I don't believe in it. And in a church context, sometimes churches can ease off into heresy. But the note, notice what it says, evil communications that is hanging out with those people <laughs> will corrupt your your good lifestyle your good way of thinking your good way of living i think what the point is this is that it's even it's dangerous enough in this in the in the context of mor morality or immorality in your living but it's even more dangerous in the context of heresy in your church you've got to be careful of that don't you got to stick to the resurrection to maintain this hope and he goes on in verses 35 down through 49, and we, for lack of time, we won't go there, but uh, just understand that he's talking about the fact that we have hope in the resurrection, even though we don't understand exactly how it occurs. You know, he said in verse 35, some man will say, how are the dead raised up? Of what body did they come? And he, goes, he calls him a fool. He said, thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quicken except it die. He goes on, what he's saying here is, you don't, when you put a kernel of corn in the ground, uh, that you, don't, you don't see a kernel of corn come out of the ground. It's a stalk. It's something different. It looks different. It's still that same kernel of corn, but it's different now. And he said, that's the way the resurrection is. What goes into the ground is not the same. It's the same substance, but it's been changed. It's been perfected when it comes out of the ground. He talks about the glory of the sun and the moon and the stars. He said that's the way the resurrection of the dead is. Verse 42, it's sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. He tells us and tells those Corinthians there that what goes into the ground, when we bury our loved ones out here, that body that goes in the ground, when it comes out, now listen, it's going to be the same body. It's going to be the same person, okay? It's not something substituted for it, but it's going to be a changed body. 
It's going to be something that is different, and it's going to, I believe it's, it's something we'll recognize. We will recognize them. He said we will know as we are known, but I'll tell you, beloved, in a sense, we won't be recognizable when it comes out of the ground. He says when it goes into the ground, it's a natural body. When it's raised, it's a spiritual body. One day, that body that we've sown in the ground out here in this graveyard will come bursting forth in perfection. I remember Brother Mike Ivey saying this one time. He said in his consideration of this as a young man, he said, you know, if you die as a child, will you be raised as a child? Will you have the body of a child? If you die as an older person, will you have the body of an older person? He said, I've come to the conclusion that, 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 that the body we will have is a perfect body. He said, it's not going to be young you. It's not going to be old you. It's going to be perfect you. And that's a good way to look at it, isn't it? I'm glad to know that because as I get older, I don't want it to be the body I've got right now, okay? I want it to be something a whole lot better. <laughs> but praise God, that's what we're told that it will be. And notice in verse 50, as we get down to the heart of the matter here, and this ought to encourage us, this ought to give us hope every day of our lives. Now I say this, brethren, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Now, there's some that are going to be asleep in Christ. They're going to be some, that, that means that they've died. They're there. But we're not all going to sleep. You know, it's possible that none of us here will have to die. It's possible we may be alive on this earth when the Lord comes back. And I hope that's the way it is. Because death itself I don't fear, but the dying I do. <laughs> I don't look forward to the dying part. Death is fine. Close my eyes here, open them there. Praise God for that. But I don't look forward to the dying. But he says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. See, there's no conflict between 1 Corinthians 4 in chapters thir uh, verse, verses 13 and forward uh, in this. He says the dead will be raised. And Paul tells us the, the, Thessal the Thessalonians over there that the dead shall rise first. He said, and we shall be changed. The dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality... Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. What he's saying here, child of God, is this. There's something better coming. You know, and that's, is that not what we need to hear? This is part of the gospel message, you see. The gospel message is how that Christ died and how that he was buried and he rose again. And oh, by the way, because he was buried and rose again, you will be buried and you will rise again. See, isn't that glorious? You know, I've said this many times here at this church. If we could live our lives every day like we were 30 seconds away from the resurrection. That'd change a lot, wouldn't it? What if the resurrection were just about to happen? What if it was just about to come and be here? I mean, all the struggle. You know, I got some things that I got to do this week that I'm kind of dreading. Some travels I've got to engage in, go different places, 
speak a few places and meet some folks and kind of dreading it. But I won't have to worry about it when the resurrection comes. <laughs> I don't have to worry about what's coming up when the resurrection, if the resurrection is 30 seconds away, then all I've got to do is just think about the glory of what I'm going to experience with the Lord. You see, the resurrection is that which should encourage us in every way. It should encourage us when we're down. It should encourage us to service. Notice what he said in verse 57. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Over in the book of Romans, he, calls us, he tells us that we are more than conquerors. You know what that means? That just means that we didn't have to fight the battle, and yet we get all the spoils of the war. He said he gives us the victory through the, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse 58, therefore, that means based on everything I've just told you, I'm about to tell you how you need to handle it. I'm, I'm about to tell you what the result of all that will be if you'll just cling to that. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You see, we can face life's trials with hope. We can be encouraged in the midst of the struggles of life. And in fact, we can be comforted by this knowledge. That's what he told the Thessalonians over there in about verse 18. I think it was 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 18. After he told them all about the resurrection and the, the, the order of things, how that the dead will rise first and then we which are alive and remain will uh, be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. He said, wherefore comfort ye one another with these words. Don't let the teachings of this world that are scary and, and, and all kinds of... Um, dark tales about Christ's second coming. Don't let that scare you. Comfort yourselves with these words. He says, be steadfast, be unmovable, and always abound in the work of the Lord. In other words, don't just sit down and wait. Don't sit down stoically and say, I'm just going to steal myself for the next onslaught. No. He said, abound in the work of the Lord. Because you see, there's a work for God's children out there. Elijah had gotten to the point where he didn't feel like he had any hope. He just got to the point where he'd feeling sorry for himself, and he sat down under the juniper tree and said, Lord, just kill me. I'm ready to go home. You know, one of the reasons we don't believe in suicide is because of Elijah's example. Elijah was ready to commit suicide. He was ready for the Lord to take him. He wanted to commit spiritual. He wanted, he wanted you know, they talk about suicide by cop. He wanted to commit suicide by God. <laughs> That's what he wanted. He wanted God to kill him, you see. But we're not to do that. Because when God showed up on the scene, he first of all said, Elijah, what are you doing here? And he told him. He was still singing the same old song, Poor Pitiful Me. And then he said, well, first, all right, Elijah, get up and get to work. He had Elijah's greatest work of his life was ahead of him. Had to, I mean, I can't imagine anything more glorious than anointing a king but he had to anoint two kings, the king of Syria and the king of Israel. He had to anoint two kings. And, and then he had, to, he had to anoint his successor. He had, to, he had to anoint the one that was going to perpetuate his work. But yet, you know, Elijah had said, oh, there's nothing, you know, Lord, I'm done. 
And when I'm done, you're done, because surely there can't be anything else going on except what I'm doing. You know, sometimes we get that in our minds, don't we? Where we think all that the Lord's doing is what we see going on around us. But when you get to that point, you're under the juniper tree. And he said, Elijah, you've got to anoint your successor, Elisha. You've got to do that yet. And that's, you know, the idea here is perpetuating his work. You know, I'm done, Lord, there's nothing left. I'm, no, you, there's, there's a work to continue there. And by the way, Elijah, there's 7,000 over here that haven't bowed their knees to Baal. <laughs> Just because you don't know about it doesn't mean it's so. You're not God. You're not God. We're not God. We don't know what's going on. We need to be encouraged, you see. And by the way, Elijah, he didn't tell him this. But he showed it to him soon after. By the way, Elijah, you're not even going to die. <laughs> glorious? Oh, Elijah, I, I've said this before. I, I got to believe that the Lord has a little bit of a sense of humor, Brother Craig. I, I could just see. I don't know if he did it. This is totally speculation on my part. But I, could, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point on that chariot of fire, if he didn't just dip down a little bit where you could see that juniper tree down there that he'd been sitting under. And looking down there and Elijah said, my goodness, look at how foolish I was. I was down there wanting to die and all the most glorious part of my life was ahead of me. Now look, here's, here's the bottom line and this is what I want to say to you in closing. Have you got cancer? Are you sick in some other way? Is the outlook pretty hopeless? You're struggling in your family life. You got children that are wayward. You got Maybe you're struggling with your spouse. Maybe you're struggling at work. Maybe you maybe just got troubles in general and they're weighing you down. Maybe it's just the, the weight of the world out there and the way it's going. Is that getting you down? Remember the, remember the resurrection. Remember the resurrection of Christ. And just remember this, child of God. God created us. We are His creation. We are created in Christ we're created in him that we should serve him. And Christ died for us. And he didn't stay in the grave. He came out of the grave. And because of that, he is coming again to get us. You know, it says the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. He's not leaving that job to somebody else. He's coming back to get us one day. And because of that, I hope we can stay encouraged in this life and not let this world get us down. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you, and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.